He talks about you in faith. He sees you in faith. He sees you in the blood of the Lamb. He sees you in the cross of Jesus Christ. He's leading you in the cross. It's to meet your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, not according to your little penny-ante ideas of what it ought to be like or your ability to fail. So what are you afraid of? Oh, I'm just afraid my children are going to all go to hell. Well, that's your fault for being afraid of it. I'm getting ahead of myself. Who against hope believed in hope. That, that hope that he believed in was the hope of having a child that God Almighty set before him when he walked in blood that night. And he said, how can I know? How can I know? God set hope before him. Now, once that was done, once God did that, I want you to notice the difference in this man. That he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. God stood in the blood of the animals that Abram killed that night, and shall thy seed be. He swore that to it. Now then, being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb or his circumstances, his surroundings. He staggered not to unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness or it was accredited to him. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. Read it out loud. But for to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. All right, now I read that to you because I wanted you to see the difference between the man that said, how can I know? and a man that could look at himself when he's a hundred, his wife who's over 90, and be fully persuaded that what God had promised was going to come to pass. And the Bible said he considered not his own body. That's where Christians have more trouble than any place in the world. They consider their body and stand up and say, oh, do, do, you, do you believe the Word of God? Oh, yes, amen. Yes. I'm, oh, is that right? Yes, amen. One fellow come up in prayer line in front of me one night, and, and I heard the Lord say on the inside of me, and said to quote the scripture to him, and told me what to quote, and I said, the word of God says, by his stripes ye were healed. Oh, yes, amen, he said. I said, you believe the word of God? Yeah. Are you healed? No, I got this. Now, he just told me he believed it, see. Now, listen carefully. Well, this is where failure comes. He's actually basing what he believes on what his body's telling. If Abram had done that, <laughs> she'd all been over back there, brother. Because he's 100 years old, and his wife's wounds have been, not just since she's 90. I mean, he's got to say, old man, you don't count. Being 100 years old don't have any effect here. 
being 90 years old, turn around and look at her and say, my, my. <laughs> but that don't matter. That don't matter. God said it. God said it. Now, what fastened him down that strong? What anchored him in there on him just like he does you? The devil's the devil, ain't he? Same as Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Satan's the same yesterday, today, forever. He'd like to change, but he can't. Don't you know he came in there on, on Abraham and said, Listen to yourself. Dear God. Going around calling things that be not as though you're acting like God. Well, you ain't acting like God, you old, you old senile old fool. You just lying. Going around telling everybody you're going to have a baby. There ain't much hope of that. Look at her. Look at her. What would she do with one if she had it? Look at her. Lord, you're going to put this on her? Everybody's already saying you're crazy. And you're going around telling everybody you're going to have a baby. How in the world could that be? Don't you know he woke up to that every morning? Sure you do. You wake up to it every morning. You know good and well he did. Why don't you feel and see if you eat? Now don't get out there and go to talking that Jesus talk too loud. Because you may be backslid so far. You'll be ashamed you said all that stuff. Well, that lying rascal will tell you all kinds of stuff like that. Be sure and turn that tape down now when you go in the service station. You don't want to embarrass that gas boy. <laughs> When you go through the toll gate down there, be sure and turn that down. Because that fellow's Jehovah's Witness. He'd get all over you like a... <laughs> well, you never had thoughts like that, huh? I'm the only one that ever did. <laughs> yeah. Leave your Bible in the car. You don't want nobody in the grocery store to see it. They may raise your prices. <laughs> the devil come in there and tell him why you old senile old man calling things that be not calling yourself a fool you went so far as to change your name tell everybody you've got God in your name and don't you imagine some of them folks around there was repeating that <laughs> huh he said no I don't pay attention to that I don't care what she looks like I don't care what you think and I don't care You understand that? Don't go calling me old man because I don't matter I'm an old man. I'm not looking at that. I'm calling things that be not as though they were and I'll be the father of many nations and my offspring of... I'm going to own all that land and if you don't believe it, hide and watch. I will. How can he be so firm when just a night or two ago he's telling God, how can I know? How can he be so fully persuaded? How could he not stagger at the promise of God when the promise was the most outlandish thing he ever heard in his life? We read that hope that was set before him that he believed in because of the blood-sworn oath of God became the anchor of the soul. The soul is made up of the will, the emotions, and the mind. Where the battleground is. Particularly in your, you have a soul and you live in a body. 
said, I pray God he sanctify you wholly, spirit and soul and body. And thank God Jesus Christ will do it. You are a spirit, and then your spirit man, the real you, the part of you that can live without that body. That body dies, you'll be present with the Lord. Born again. Your body didn't get born again. Your mind didn't get born again. The Bible says you ought to renew your mind. How do you renew it? With these exceeding great and precious promises, and you go to the hope that is set before you in the bread and the wine. Two immutable things. A sword that he can't lie. Jesus is your Lord and he is your Savior and he is your healer. He is your deliverer and he is your financier and he is your keeper. He is your Lord, the lover of your soul. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and you're his joint heir. Huh? And he said, in my name, he said, all power in heaven and earth has been given unto me, and you go in my name, and you cast out the devil. Didn't say a thing in the world about you asking him to cast out the devil. My name, you go do it. He's given you his name. He's given you his word. He's given his spirit, and the Bible said we have the mind of Christ. He's given you his Father. He's given you his standing in heaven, and it is by faith so that it might be by grace that the promise is just as sure to you as it is to me, as it is to Oral Roberts, as it has ever been to anybody because it's not my promise. It's not Oral's promise. It's not Kenneth Hagin's promise. Galatians chapter 3 says, when God Almighty promised Abraham, he was talking to Jesus, the seed that was to come. Not as plural as under many seeds, but the one seed, which is Christ. And in the 29th verse, he said, and if you belong to Christ, you are the seed of Abraham. The promise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's just plain old country camp meeting shouting ground, brother. Woo! Glory to God. Hallelujah. All right. The anchor of the soul, then, is to anchor this thing. Battleground is. The Bible tells us, think on these things, and it lists the things to think on. And it says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but powerful through God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down reasonings, and every high thing against the Word of God, now listen, bringing into captivity, bringing into captivity, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ Jesus. And for you to have a thought, well, I guess God just didn't want me to have this, I suppose. That's not obedience to Christ Jesus. You're all the seed. I mean, how did you escape that precious blood? Oh, brother, you don't know what a terrible life I lived before I got saved. No, I don't. God doesn't. Nobody else does. The only thing that remains of it is a memory in your mind. Now cast it out! The blood of the Lamb has remitted it. 
God and say, oh, God, I was such a bad fellow before I got saved. And the Lord said, I didn't know you before you got saved. Don't bring it up to me. When you came to me, Jesus had already done his thing on you. <laughs> you was born again before you ever got in here in this room. Jesus knew you before you got saved. But the Father didn't. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that Jesus has made us kings and priests unto our Father. He presented you as a little baby king. He presented you as a boy, a young child of God. A friend of mine asked God with all of her heart. She said, Lord, I have got to have a washing machine. That, please, Lord, my birthday's coming. Could you please get me one for my birthday? Birthday came and went. Well, that's okay. I mean, you know. Sure thought he was going to do that, though. A few days later, this woman called her and woke her up at midnight. Oh, she said, I want you to forgive me. She said, what for? Oh, she said, God spoke to me today and told me to give you my washing machine. And she said, I put it off and was going to call you tomorrow. And he woke me up and almost knocked me out of bed and told me to call you before midnight, whatever I do. And I said, Lord, let's see. He said, wake her up. It's important. She got to drinking. Oh, this is the day I was born again. It didn't mean nothing to God what day her body came into the world. He became her father the day she accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. And boy, he had to get that washing machine in there on her birthday. And did. Had to get that woman up at midnight. Oh, call her. I'm wake her up. It's important. She called over there. She shouted and praised God almost all night long. Now, well, I'll tell you where. Thank you, Jesus. Help me, Lord. Here's where we take off. Thank you, Jesus. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 9. slow down here a minute. <laughs> Man, I get to going. Dear Lord, I get so excited on this. There's been times I've... <laughs> first time, first time I, I got a glimpse of what I'm about to show you, I was in a little mobile home. I was preaching in a church up in Oklahoma, and they had a little mobile home, and, and Gloria and I was staying in that mobile home, and I, I, was, I was laying in the middle of the afternoon, laying up there in the bed, reading the, reading the Bible like this, and a flash of it went across my spirit, and I've never heard anybody talk about any of this that I'm, that I'm going to introduce to you now. And, and, and then when I saw it, I mean, I jumped up straight up. I threw that Bible right straight up. I thought, could I? I read that wrong. Surely I read that wrong. I got that Bible back up and read it again. And I tell you, it got to me so bad, I broke out the back of that trailer and run around out in the backyard before, before I finally realized, woke up and realized what I was doing. I got to shouting one afternoon. I went up, up in the woods, 
set my little tent up to fast and pray for a week one time. And I got into some of this up there then. And I tell you, I got to running and screaming out in those woods. There wasn't nobody out there but me and Jesus and a bunch of cows. And I got to running up and down the woods, man, and shouting and screaming just hard and just loud as I could. And I finally realized, dear God, listen to me. I'm coming undone. So I want to warn you now. <laughs> All right. Chapter 9. Let's start reading with the 18th verse. Neither the first testament was dedicated without blood or purified or settled. Settled is an excellent word where dedicated is. Neither was the first testament settled without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant. A testament is an old English word that is, uh, was put in the, the King James Bible to indicate its strength. We've made a religious word out of it and forgot what it meant. But it means the strongest kind of agreement that exists, which is a blood covenant. The word covenant in Hebrew suggests where blood flows. It also suggests scar, where blood has flowed. I mean, it's a scar. It's a mark. It's there forever. You see this fellow, this big mark across his wrist? You want to think twice before you jump on him because you get on him, there's somebody else somewhere has got one on his wrist, and you're going to have to fight the whole clan. Now, that's the way, that's the way covenant people think in the East and in the, and, and Middle East and all around that part of the world, in Africa, where covenants are alive. That's the way they think. And you see that festered scar across a man's hand or across his wrist or on the tips of his fingers or something like that. Boy, you won't think twice before you get on him. I mean, there may be 15,000 people out there that would be called to his aid because that family is in covenant. And now, now listen to this as it's represented by God. This is the blood of the covenant which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of ministry. Almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without shedding of blood is no remission or no doing away with. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens, the real things are in heaven, the patterns are on the earth, the copies are on the earth, Patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better, better sacrifices than these were. Even the real things, the real vessels of worship in the holiest place in existence, which is the sanctuary of Almighty God. Now this tells us two things very important. One, it shows us the extent 
and the far-reaching effect of Adam's authority. When Adam sinned, it affected heaven because God had given him authority as created in his image, gave him dominion, and the psalm says he had dominion over all the handiworks of God. And his authority went right on up to the throne, but not including the throne of God. But it did include the heavenly sanctuary. Adam, before he sinned, had rights in the heavenly sanctuary of God. He was welcome there. And when he sinned, it polluted and so the blood of Jesus, as high priest, Jesus went into that heavenly sanctuary and he sanctified the heavenly utensils of worship with his precious blood. Why? For you. For you. For you. Now let me tell you this. Can't nobody get in there but the priest. We are a royal priesthood. <laughs> Isn't that what the word says? We are made kings and priests and joint heirs with him. That's the reason your prayers go right on in there. Read last night, you know, where our hope goes into that, that holy place where Jesus, the forerunner, went before us. Your prayers go right in there. I mean, it's just the same as you walking in there personally. It says, come boldly to the throne of grace. Come boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Oh, well. Oh, shut up. Don't start that unworthy, back-crawling, slipping backwards kind of junk. When Abraham staggered not at the promise of God, you sure don't have it if he staggering at the promise of God. If he hadn't wanted you in there, he wouldn't have promised it, and he certainly wouldn't have sent Jesus to the cross because he didn't send him there on account of himself. He sent him there on account of you. Amen? So settle that forever. You want me to tell you how to settle that? You and your family, or do it by yourself. You're a priest. Serve yourself communion. Go get on your knees. I'm going to talk to you about this in a minute. The hope is set before you. Get on your knees and settle some of those things. I'm not worthy before God because I earned that worthiness. I was unworthy. But thank God he didn't leave me unworthy. He died for me. And I went to him and was born again. And any man that's in Christ Jesus is a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new, and all things are of God. And he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And you get on your knees, and you get that blood and bread before the wine and the bread before you, and you stay right there on your knees with your open Bible, and you, you read all the scriptures that you have taken the time to study and look up before you ever go in there. And you settle the fact that you're a born-again child of Almighty God, a joint heir with Christ Jesus. And don't come out of there sassy and proud and fussy about it. Come out of there with humility, but come out of there with bold humility. I am what the Word says I am. And greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world, because his Word says so. Amen. 
I may not look too righteous to you. I may not feel too righteous to me. But his word says, He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, and I'm in that us. I'm part of the whosoever will. And I'm part of the whosoever that did. <laughs> Amen. And it's mine. And I walk in it. And I put my armor on. I have a right to this helmet. I have a right to this breastplate of righteousness. I have a right to my loins girt with the Word of God. I have a right to the gospel on my feet. I have a right to the sword in my hand and the shield of faith on my arm. I have a right to my place. I'm a citizen in the household of God. Settle it with the two immutable things where God cannot lie and anchor your mind and your will and your emotions for the rest of your life that you are a child of God no devil of hell going to talk to you out of. And you can be humble about it, but don't go crawfishing about it. Are you listening? I said, are you listening to me? All right. Now, Let's, let's, let's read some here. You, you've got to see this. He sprinkled, verse 21, with blood both the tabernacle and the vessels of ministry. Almost all things of my law purged by blood without shedding blood no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in heaven be purified with these. The heavenly things themselves were better sacrificing than me. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the but in the heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Who for us? <laughs> Your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? So is mine. So quit running backwards every time somebody tries to bless you with the Word of God. Well, I'm just undeserving. Shut up! I know that, God knows that, Jesus knows that, the devil knows that, all the angels knows that, and every demon of hell knows it. But it has no bearing. He loves you anyway. I had a guy tell me one time, he said, Kenneth Copeland, you have just, re you just pulled God down on your own level. I said, no, I didn't. He come down here on my level of his own free will, man. Well, he said, you just lift yourself up right up to heaven then on his level. I said, no, the word of God said he's lifted us up, raised us up to sit with him in the heavenly place. I said, I didn't have nothing to do with it, but I'll tell you one thing, I'm taking full advantage of it. <laughs> Amen. Hey, I take full advantage of what's mine in Christ. Full advantage of it. Now, Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands which are the figures of the truth but into heaven itself. That's so important. Underline that phrase in the Bible saying all this. But into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest every year with blood of others. For then... Must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world? Underline that phrase. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but not right now. Underline that. Since the foundation of the world, but now, once in the end of the world. Underline that. 
hath he appeared to put away sin. Where did he appear? Now, probably when he came to earth, where did he appear? said he appeared in heaven itself, didn't he? For us to do what? Put away sin. Put it away. Say, put it away. Cover it over? No, no. No. In the Old Covenant, you use the word atone. Now, in the book of Romans, the King James Bible, it uses that word, but it uses it erroneously. It's a wrong translation of a word that means remit. In the Old Covenant, the word atone is used. Sins were atoned for every year by the blood of animals, representing what was going to happen in heaven with the blood of Jesus once and for all. Now, his blood didn't cover sin. Your sins are not covered. If they were, they'd still exist. They're not covered. Atone means to cover up or to hide. The Bible said Jesus did away with sin, and the New Testament word for what happened in Calvary is remittance or wiped out. The book of Colossians says the ordinance or the note that was against us, the handwriting on it was obliterated and nailed to his cross. There's not a canceled note. It doesn't have any handwriting on it. There is nothing in heaven that said you ever sinned. No record of it whatsoever. No record of it. No record of it. No record of it, I said. And for folks like me, I mean, that's wonderful, brother. That's good news. That keeps me up at night. Woo, glory to God. Well, I guess I'm just having such a hard time, brother, because of the terrible life I lived before I got saved. Now, that's a lie right out of the pit of hell. The life you lived before you got saved don't have a bit of, it doesn't have a thing in the world to do with the life you live now. Not one thing. For not far as heaven's concerned. You understand what I mean? Now, read this. <laughs> you think that was good. And as it is appointed unto men once, not a time to, once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ, or the anointed one, was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. When he comes again, he ain't dealing with sin. He ain't messing with it, brother. As far as he's concerned, it's over. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. In other words, in the light of sin. In the light of sin. Because the sin still existed. So, it, so perfect in the eyes of God would be what? Without sin. Jesus was perfect, wasn't he? In the eyes of God. Because he never sinned. But you did. But he took your sin and obliterated it and did away with it. Now listen, 
Close your Bible just a second. Say, Lord, help me. I'd open them again. <laughs> For the law or the old covenant, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comer thereunto perfect, for then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshipers once purged. Hold your place right there and look at the first chapter. Turn over to the first chapter. Verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had, is that past tense or future? Past tense. When he had by himself purged our sins, set down on the right hand of majesty on high. So have your sins been purged? Yes. All right, let's go back now. Because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more sin consciousness, no more failure consciousness. Why? Wait a minute. What is the anchor of the soul? Let's go back again. What's the soul made up of? Mind, the will, emotions. What does that constitute? Consciousness. That's what works when you awake, <laughs> when you're conscious. The way you think all day. You're seeing all these advertisements about subliminal tapes, you know. And they draw the little picture about the little guard standing in front of the gate, and that's your subconscious mind, and he ain't going to let nobody in there except all that ugly stuff. Well, that's basically true, except it's not your subconscious mind, it's your spirit. And if, it, if you've not been born again, then it is your subconscious mind. If you have been born again, then it's your superconscious mind. It shouldn't be sub, it should be in ascendancy, spirit, soul, and body. Now the anchor of the blood and the body, the bread and the wine, the sworn blood oath of Almighty God is that your sin has been obliterated. Heaven doesn't have any record that sin exists. My God shall meet your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Not according to this sorry little world we're living in. It's lost its power, brother. He intends for you to live under heaven's command, under heaven's leadership, under the leadership of the Holy Ghost. The Bible said those that, that are led by the Spirit are called the sons of God. Hallelujah. All right? Now listen to me carefully. The anchor of the mind, the will, 
and the emotions, the blood covenant of God is to renew your consciousness from a failure, fear consciousness to a right standing with God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you kind of consciousness. What would you do if you didn't have any fear you might fail? How much would you give to God out of your goods if you knew you couldn't fail? See, your whole consciousness is based on that failure syndrome, just like the world is. The world says you get it, you've got to keep it, because one of these days you're going to need it. But the Word of God says, why don't you give? It'll be given to you again. Jesus said, if you confess me before my Father, I'll confess you before all the angels of heaven. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who shall be heirs unto salvation? I've learned over the years to depend on the angels that God has sent to, to minister for me. Not to me, for me. Oh, I never heard nothing like that. That's pretty obvious. That's, in fact, more than pretty obvious in some cases. Amen. You walk around on the street, oh, I hope the wind don't blow us away. Oh, I hope a tornado don't come. Oh, I hope it don't hail on us. Oh, I hope I don't have a flat. Oh, I just hope for something don't bad happen. You know, every time, every time we start to have a vacation, the kids get sick. Oh, I hope I don't lose my job. Oh, y'all pray for Aunt Minnie. She ain't expecting to live. If God don't intercede, she's going to die. Boy, I'm glad I ain't Aunt Minnie. A bunch around like that praying for me. Huh? You see what that's oriented in? The whole thing's oriented in fear of failure. Even the natural world without knowing anything about the Bible. You, you go into places where salesmen are hired to do more than just, just take orders, you know, or something like that, where there's creative salesmanship involved. And every one of those men know or are soon about to find out that they are their own worst enemy. My daddy told me one time, he said, Kenneth, if you don't shut up, you ain't never going to be able to make a living as a salesman. I said, why? He said, Samson killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of an ass. And he said, you're going to kill ten times that many sales with the same weapon. I never, never misunderstood what he He said the reason you can't shut up is because you're afraid. If you don't keep talking, the guy ain't going to buy. He said the problem is you talk him into it and then talk him out of it before the fellow can ever get his hand in his pocket. And he said, you just shut up, you might come out better than that. And I'd watch him do it. He'd go in and he'd present his product, and then he'd just lean back and hush. And God look at him, bat his eyes. He wouldn't say a word. But the next word the man said, my dad knew right where he was and what his job was in front of him. But I talked and talked and talked and talked and talked. I was afraid that I wasn't good enough to, to do it. And he had confidence that he knew his product, and his product was the best you could buy. 
and he was not a bit ashamed to present it. He did his homework, and when he walked in there, his batting average was somewhere around five or six hundred. That's pretty decent any man sales for. Man's getting six out of ten of them. And some guy just chew him out and tell him, get out of here, I don't never want to see that again. And I'd say, oh. And Dad said, don't worry about that. You know, he's worrying about that. He said, four out of ten of them is going to say no, and ain't but three left. <laughs> he said, let's keep working, we'll get to the other six. See, he learned that. He didn't learn that out of the Bible. He learned that just out in the world. He could see where a failure syndrome would destroy you out there in the world. There are men right today making a million dollars a year just selling things. Now, why isn't everybody making a million dollars a year selling things? They're afraid, they're afraid they can't do it or they'd go do it. There's a guy jumped on Oral Roberts sometime and said, you ain't nothing but a charlatan. You in it for the money. That's all you're in it for. Oral said, you really believe that? Oh, yes, he said, I believe that. You're in it for the money. He, Oral said, you're a liar and I can prove it. <gasps> he said, what do you mean? He said, if you really believe that, you'd be doing it. <laughs> so the only reason you do what you do is to get money. Isn't that right? <laughs> he said, well, you don't believe it then or you'd be doing it. <laughs> We walked off. He's standing there going, hi, 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 Failure syndrome. It's created by surroundings, background. It's created all the way from the Garden of Eden. Now, you remember those two places I told you to underline back there in the ninth chapter? I hope you did it. Back up there now. I want to show you something. Oh, dear God, this is, I mean, this is shouting ground right here. Hallelujah. Now, remember it said in, in verse 24, Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the truth, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, but now, say now. now. Once in the end, say it, in the end of the world. What in the world does that mean? All right. The foundation of the world of sin. The day that Adam sinned, the foundation of the world. Go ye into all the world. Preach the gospel unto every creature. The world, the world, the world. When the world began, when sin began, when failure began, when fear began, sickness, disease, when the world as you and I know it began. 